I think it's a very exciting, exciting time right now uh, around Spruce Creek. I don't know what you were thinking, but I couldn't help during the announcement time to see the vitality and to hear what's going on in various ministries, to know that the mission endeavors, whether it's here locally, what's going on in Nicaragua, here we have a new friend in Ted headed to China. The gospel is a living power, and it's moving in our midst. We've been taking the last several months as we've been studying the book of Proverbs, and we've been basically studying the topic of wisdom. And we've said that wisdom is more than just knowledge, it's skill in action. It's knowledge that is lived out. We're going to focus on this a little bit in a few moments, but it's not just hearing the word of God but it's doing it, it's embodying it, it's that lived out nature of truth. Recently, when my wife and I were on vacation a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to experience my wife's wisdom a little bit, which is a wonderful thing. Guys, you ought to know this, when your wives pass on some of their wisdom, it's time to listen, isn't it? And my wife sat me down and she said, Jeff, you've been in the ministry 26 years, you're always going, you're never stopping. You think it's about time that maybe you ask the elders for a little bit of a sabbatical. And we've had this conversation uh, before, but this time, I don't know, maybe it was revival happening in that motel room. I have no clue, but I listened. And again, I think the Spirit of God is moving amongst our leadership and elders. I think we're blessed with a good set of elders and deacons that love the Lord and love you all as a church. And so I wanted to share with you all that the elders and deacons have agreed to allow me to have a working sabbatical because I don't, the purpose of a sabbatical, it's not a vacation. I'm not going away on vacation, but it's designed to take a time of way to refocus, renew, refuel, and recharge. And I'm going to take some of this opportunity. I have actually, I have to be the longest running doctoral student in RTS's history. I've actually been working on my doctor of ministry for... I think I started in 1999, and I think they have a six-year window that they've, they must have missed a decimal point. Don't tell them anything, okay, because I think I'm in year 16 or 17, but I have now finished the coursework, and all I have left is the dissertation. So a major focus is going to be, even if I don't finish it, and this is a really, I'm stepping out on a limb, because I know you all will pray for me, and I'm scared to death I won't finish. I sit there, and I go, what do I write? So... This is a good step for me to, uh, in a sense, repent of my controlling nature and my fear of failure and those types of things and need wisdom. So pray for me. My sabbatical will be for basically three and a half months. I'll be here through the 8th of May. The 8th of May will be my last Sunday, and then I'll come back the week after Labor Day. We're blessed to have a tremendous pastoral assistant right now who is finishing his internship. He's graduated from RTS. He's getting ready to seek his own licensure and ordination and all of that. So Andrew will be able to do the bulk of the preaching, but we also have some professors from RTS who will be coming in, and they will be administering the Lord's Supper on those days, and then the elders will be every now and then. And so we'll go through channels of communication. I'll kind of have a list of what you can pray for. But beginning after the 8th of May and going through Labor Day weekend, that will be my sabbatical time. And I'm much appreciative because I honestly do, th I think my wife was right. I think this is wisdom and it's an opportunity not only for refueling for us, but I've been doing some reading on the nature of sabbaticals and they encourage the congregation to pray that in a sense it's a sabbatical for the congregation as well. 
that we would be renewed in our vision for what the Lord would have us to be doing, what the, the impact we make on our city and our community. You know that we've said we want to, if you look at our website and our vision statement, our purpose statements, to live out of the gospel, out of the power of the gospel in our church, in the community, and in the world. And that's what we want to do. We ha want to have kind of this gospel-centered, gospel movement that we as a people are living out of that power, and it's impacting how we love and live here at Spruce Creek in Volusia County, and the gospel is, as Ted shared, for the nations. So as we're studying wisdom, I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. We are going to, I have three sermons, this Sunday, next Sunday, and then the 8th of May. I'll be gone doing a wedding in Bradenton on the 1st of May. Right, Clark? Where's Clark? I'll be doing that the 30th, but I'll be gone on the 1st. Sunday's the 1st. I didn't get it wrong. I'll show up on the right day. Clark and Diane's youngest son is getting married, and we're excited about that. So we want to take these three Sundays that I have left and pretty much get through Proverbs chapter 9. So we're going to take the next two weeks and look at Proverbs chapter 8. And today we're going to look at verses 1 through 21. And next week we're going to look at verses 22 to 36. And then on Mother's Day, May 8th, we're going to look at chapter 9. Chapter 8 has to do with the call of lady wisdom. And verse 1 begins, does not wisdom call? does not understanding raise her voice. On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth, wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Let's pray and ask God by his spirit to illumine his word to our lives this morning. All scripture is inspired by God. It originates in you, O Lord. You're the author of scripture. And as Paul wrote to Timothy, it is useful, it's applicable to correct us, to change our ways, to impact our lives, to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness. But none of us can find its meaning on our own. We don't have the wisdom or the wherewithal. We need Holy Spirit for you to be our teacher. We praise you, Father, that in the economy of salvation that you have poured out your spirit amongst us to indwell us, to teach us, to guide us into all the truth. So we yield to him now. May we be 
good, soft, tender listeners of the Spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what we have here throughout Proverbs chapter 8 is here's the wise sage, against speaking. Using a figure of speech that commentators call personification, and what he is doing, if you look at those first verses when he says, does not wisdom call, does not understanding raise, look at the personal pronoun, her voice. It says, on the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. What the sage, the counselor, is doing in teaching his son is he is personifying wisdom as lady wisdom. And Ray Ortland mentioned this in his commentary, and I happen to like it as well. He likens this personification, if you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings, and if you know the character Lady Galadriel. Who is Lady Galadriel in the Lord of the Rings? She is the elf queen. Dignified and wise, regal and royal, elegant and majestic. And Lady Wisdom, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, is the opposite of what was contrasted in chapter 7 and then at the end of chapter 9 as Lady Folly, the adulteress. And what the sage, the counselor, is doing, he's painting a picture for us of two ways, two voices, two callings. And he's basically challenging us with the question, whose call will you listen to? Will you listen to the beautiful, majestic call of wisdom? Or in your life, will you listen to the call of the adulterous folly? Proverbs chapter 8 is broken into four sections, four parts, two of which we're going to look at this morning, the next two next week. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11, which basically outlines for us the beauty of the call of wisdom. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 21, which basically talk about the preeminence or the supremacy of the call of wisdom. And again, the challenge, the question, what do we learn? What does the Spirit want you to know about wisdom and its call? So that the challenge can be placed to you. Who will you listen to? Who will you embrace? The Spirit wants you to know and hear about the beauty of wisdom and the supremacy of wisdom. Look with me at verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way at the crossroads, she takes her stand beside the gates in front of the town at the entrance of the portals. She cries aloud. She cries out, to you, O man, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. Look what's going on here. She's calling out to everyone. Theologians note, and we need to note, that there is a distinction that is made between what theologians call the general or universal call of the gospel and the effectual call of the gospel. If you look at these verses, who's wisdom calling? And remember, when we hear wisdom, who is wisdom embodied in? It's embodied in Jesus Christ. When you hear the call of wisdom, you are hearing the call of Jesus Christ, and it goes out to everyone. To you, O men, I call my cry is to the children of man. It goes out every... We want to pray for Ted when it goes out to the people of China. We want to pray that it goes out in Nicaragua. We want to pray that it goes out to the children this summer with VBS. We want to pray that it goes out to your families and to your neighbors. We want nobody to be without the call of the gospel. But yet, it's effectual. It lands, so to speak... Only to those God has chosen to reveal himself to, those he's elected in his saving love. So wisdom calls, lady wisdom's calling, lady wisdom is raising his voice, but not everyone listens. 
So what is the challenge? Wisdom is calling this morning. You're not here by accident. Are you listening? And if we look at our text, there's two very specific ways we are called, practical ways we are called to listen. There are two parts, two things we are commanded related to our listening. Verse 6 begins with, hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Hear, where do we hear wisdom speaking? Where do, does the word come from lips that utter what is right and utter truth? From the word of God. How does wisdom speak? Wisdom speaks through the very word of God, and so we're commanded to hear. But if you look down with me at verse 10, we're not only commanded to hear, but verse 10 then even says more specific than that, take my instruction. Instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Two commands, to hear and to take, to not only hear, but then to embrace the New Testament says, don't just be hearers of the word, but what does James say? Be doers of the word. This theme runs throughout Scripture. Let me illustrate it this way. I know Ted is with crew and with MTW, but I'll give an illustration that I heard first when I was participating in a Bible study in a discipleship group back in my college years with the Navigators. They had an illustration of how to take in the word of God that they called the hand illustration. And they said, take your Bible... See, you could even, you wanted a participatory sermon? You could even do this if you want. You take out your Bible and you grip your whole hand. And they said, you're gripping it with what? Five fingers. And they said, there's basically five basic ways that we take in. Not just hear, but take in the word of God. And you need all five to do it adequately. To soak in the scriptures. To actually take his instruction instead of silver. They said, the first one is here. See, all of you are attending, you're paying attention, some of you are nodding your head, some of you are hearing, I can't tell if everybody is, but technically you're hearing the word of God right now. That's one way. If I held this Bible, though, with just one finger, what would happen? It would make a loud noise, it would drop to the floor, it would wake some of you up, right? It's not a full taking in of the word of God. So you need to read the word of God. A second way, May I commend to you in our discipleship and our shepherding, we promote something. You can even find it on the website. Even if there are no copies, and there probably are copies out there, you can find it on the Spruce Creek Bible Reading Plan, a way to read through the entire Bible in a year, the Psalms twice in a year, the New Testament twice in a year, to soak in, to have the Word of God soaking in. Hear and read. If I only had two fingers, ugh, I can do it, but... Not real well. I'm exerting more strength. I need to also study the Word of God. That's why we have Sunday school classes. That's why we have community groups. You'll notice, and I, and I have no variety on this, and I don't apologize for no variety. On the community group guide, it's there every week. And if you're a community group leader, I want you to press it home. Press it. I tell my community group I'm going to be a pain in the neck again because I'm going to ask you this question again. And the question goes... How does God want to change me through this passage of Scripture? All Scripture is useful, meaning all Scripture is applicable, meaning God wants to change you through His Word. He doesn't want you just studying it so it's good information. He doesn't want you going, hmm, I never knew that. He wants to actually change how you love, how you relate, how you forgive, how you feel, how you interact with the world and other people, what your attitudes are. 
He wants his word to actually shape and govern your life. That happens through studying. I'm still not done, though. That's a longer illustration, isn't it? There's a call to memorize God's word. And yes, no matter what age you are, you can memorize God's word. And there's a call to meditate on God's word. The wise man in Psalm 1, who's one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on his word, he meditates day and night. You go to a dentist, and what do they tell you in terms of chewing your food? You're supposed to chew your food 32 times before you swallow? I think I've gotten up to eight a few times. I just seem to really love my steak. Eight, done. But what is meditation? It's basically chewing. Like you're chewing your cud. You chew on the word of God. You ruminate on it. It's a way to prayerfully apply. It's speaking the word into your heart. So that you take this word and you say, here for I will speak noble things. Meditate on the fact. What are the noble things God speaks? His love, his judgment, his justice. How he's going to put all things right. Do you meditate on those things? You need all those things to hear and to take the noble things. The right things coming out of the lips of God. The truth that's being uttered from his mouth. Listen to how the psalmist put it. The prayer book of the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 19 verses 7 through 10. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing, making glad the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. I don't know how much more of a blunt way to put it. If your only intake of the word of God is Sunday morning, it's not enough. It's not going to change your life. You need more than 30 minutes or 60 minutes in a week's time. Do you see the beauty of wisdom spoken through the word of God? And how do we take it and embrace it? See, I think we need more than just a cognitive knowledge. The word of God is meant in the words of Jonathan Edwards to impact what he called our affections. And our affections are those likes and loves. In his sermon, A Divine and Supernatural Light, he explained the difference between simply having a rational knowledge, information, just hearing the word, and having what he calls a sense of it. What the sage here in Proverbs of Eight is saying, take my instruction, eat it, chew on it, meditate it, having it affect you, impact you. Listen to Edwards. Edwards says there is a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and beauty of that holiness and grace. There's a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. A man may have the former, meaning the rational judgment. He may have the former, meaning I know honey is sweet, but doesn't know that honey tastes sweet. You may have the former, but he knows not how honey, honey tastes. But you can't have the latter knowing how it tastes unless you have an idea of the taste of honey in his mind. So he says there is a difference between believing that a person is beautiful and having a sense of his beauty. 
The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Take my instruction. Embrace it. Internalize it. This is here and take the wisdom of God through his word, the beauty of wisdom. Look with me down at verse 12. Our next point is the supremacy of wisdom. See, once you have a sense of its beauty, do you live out of its supremacy? Here's Lady Wisdom calling again, saying, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. Goes on to say, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. Look at verse 17. I love those. Here's wisdom calling out. And remember, when you hear wisdom, wisdom embodied is Jesus Christ. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. These verses are now giving us the reasons why we should prize and cherish wisdom as supreme overall. Verse 13 says, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. And verse 17 promises, I love those who love me. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? Remember, as we've been saying, it's not a terror. It's not an emotional, I'm afraid. But it is having the Lord as your main love. It's who we worship. It's what we live for. Whose we are. We live, we desire, and we aim for his kingdom, his glory, his person. Andrew read early in our service, the aim of this charge, the aim of what Paul is telling Timothy is love. And that means love for God. He's aiming in his worship. He's aiming in his instruction. He's aiming in his discipleship. He's aiming to impact the love life of Timothy. Loving God and loving others. Now, why is that? Well, it has to do with how we are created in the image of God. Ray Ortland, commenting on this verse, says, We take whatever we value, and we take what we love, and whatever we take will take us. In other words, we become what we love. We need to understand how God created us as humans. And listen, Jamie Smith in this book I've just finished reading called Desiring the Kingdom rightly says that as God's creatures and God's image bearers, he says we are essentially creatures that love and desire. He's essentially saying to be human is to be a lover. To fear something is to love something. To worship, it's a worship word. And Smith goes on, he writes, he says, the core claim is that liturgies, and by liturgies he tells us he means worship. The core claim is that worship, and he says whether sacred or secular, shape and constitute our identities by forming our most fundamental desires and our our most basic approach to the world. He says, in short, worship makes us a certain kind of people, and what defines us is what we love. He continues, the structure of love can take different directions, which means that such love can also be misdirected. It depends on how our love is aimed. What distinguishes us, he's saying, what makes us human is not whether we love, but what we love. At the heart of our being, he calls it a kind of love pump. 
that can never be shut off. Even by sin or the fall, it's never turned off. He says, no, rather the effect of sin on our love pump is to knock it off kilter, to misdirect it, to move it in the wrong direction, aimed at wrong things. That means, see, notice what the text is saying, the fear of the Lord. If your love, if your desire is aimed at the Lord, it will bring forth wisdom. But your love pump is never turned off. You are always loving and living for something. And you will live for what you love. Listen to how Paul puts it in the book of Romans. He's just shared in Romans 1 through 5 that great doctrine of justification, how we are declared right in the Lord, how we're forgiven. And then he goes on in chapter 6 to talk about the doctrine of sanctification. In other words, how do we live out of the gospel? Our purpose statement, living out of the gospel in the church, in the community, in the world. And he asks the question in Romans chapter 6, verse 15, he says, what then? He's kind of facing an objection. If you're forgiven, past, present, future, your sins sent away, you're declared right. He says, are we to sin because we're not under law but, but under grace? Of course, we all know the answer by no means. Of course not. But do we know how this works in our hearts? Because he says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one who you obey. Now listen to what he's saying. If you present yourself, what does it mean to present yourself? It means give yourself to. Love, live for, aim, and you present yourself to what you love. If I love my job more than I love the Lord, I'm going to become a workaholic. The love pump is never turned off, and I'm doing it for my glory, not God's glory. If you love your family more than you love your Lord, you're going to present yourself. You'll do anything to make your kids happy. If they become unhappy, it will crucify your heart. It will devastate you. It will paralyze you. You won't be able to move on. You're presenting yourself what you present yourself to as an obedient slave. You are slaves of the one whom you obey. If you love and live for and fear the Lord, you belong to him. You're his. You're a slave of the one you obey. And it leads to righteousness. If you present yourself to sin, you're a slave to sin, and it leads to death. Do you see the dynamic? Whatever you present yourself to, that means whatever you love, whatever you not only hear, but take, embrace, either lady wisdom or lady folly, you are slave of the one whom you obey. Which is why the sage is saying the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. And of course the question is then how do we grow and how do we develop and how do we move in this fear of the Lord? Working hard is not repentance. Just simply trying harder is not repentance. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Now look at this. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Wisdom's calling out. This is wisdom calling out right here. And obviously wisdom is saying, because when you hear wisdom, you're hearing who's the embodiment of wisdom? Jesus Christ. Jesus is calling and Jesus is going, I hate evil. God hates evil. So if you think about that, the fear of the Lord is hate evil. That could leave us in a bit of trouble, doesn't it? Because we don't hate evil like wisdom does. We don't hate evil like God does. We don't hate evil like Jesus does. But in Romans chapter 5, 
verse 8, you've got this absolutely amazing verse that says, but God demonstrates. Now that word is very, this is why you can't just read quickly, you can't just hear, you've got to meditate on these words. What does it mean to demonstrate something? It means to make it tangible, to make it clear, means to show it. God demonstrates. In other words, he's saying, let me show you. You want to see what my love looks like? Here's what it looks like. This is what love is. That while we were yet enemies, while we didn't fear the Lord, while we didn't hate evil, Christ died for us. You know what that means? That means all the evil that we did fell on Jesus as the demonstration of God's love. The cross is the biggest revelation, both of God's hatred of evil and his love for us. You see in the cross both his mercy and his justice kissing and coming together. You see how passionately God hates evil and sin on the cross. And you see how passionately God loves us by the fact that all of the evil in us fell on Jesus. And then how do we fear the Lord? The psalmist says, if you, O Lord, Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Evil fell on Jesus. He took it into himself. It soaked. He not only heard, he took it into himself. Therefore, you are feared. Wisdom calls out. Do you hear and take it? And wisdom is calling out. When wisdom calls out, Jesus calls out. To hear wisdom is to hear Jesus. And to hear Jesus is to hear and to take in Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. It is to take in all of him. Do you want to grow in wisdom? You can't get enough of Jesus and you can't ever move beyond Jesus. Take in Jesus and learn to embrace him. I've quoted this before. The best definition of sanctification or the Christian life that I've ever read before. And I wish I remembered where I read it. I have, it, I have a list of quotes that I turn to and I don't know where I got this from. All I know is I didn't make it up so it's not mine. But I can't source it. All I can tell you is it's not mine. But it's still the best definition of sanctification I've read. It is learn to be by faith what you already are in Christ. You do realize that if you're to be a Christian means you are in Christ. Learn to be by faith what you already are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask that we would hear wisdom's call and when wisdom is calling, Jesus is calling. And Jesus, we pray that we would learn to listen to you. To not only hear your word, but to take it in. Father, we thank you. And we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.